You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, immediately following the New York Giants' loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a game that, frankly, is going to be a a bit hard to truly evaluate. We're going to provide you with that film breakdown like we usually do, but today's episode, immediately after the game, like we always do, we're providing our quick takeaways. And the one thing with this game, Chris, is is it is so tricky to really wrap my head around what 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 happened in this game they had a lead at halftime defensively Patrick Graham schemed the perfect defense for this this explosive Tom Brady led Bucks offense and we're going to talk about that in a little bit what he did exactly but what cost them and they still managed to lose because the Giants starting quarterback Daniel Jones in his second year continues to make the same mistakes over and over again. And it is becoming increasingly more difficult. And I feel like we say this every week he does this, but I think today might slightly be my breaking point. It is becoming increasingly more difficult to try to find ways to defend Daniel Jones. You are eight games into your second season, and those two interceptions were crucial interceptions that seriously impacted the outcome of this game. Because frankly, everybody else on the field, offensively and defensively, might not have been perfect. But they at least played a good enough game to win the football game. And those two mistakes, and you could point to other things that maybe impacted the outcome, but those two mistakes seriously affected the Giants' ability to win this football game. It kept them out of winning it. Yeah, they they really did. And it's kind of the same story we have been saying since week one this year. And even going back to his rookie season, but week one against the Steelers, he had that interception in the end zone. And immediately after the game, we said, you know, you cannot throw that pass. You have to throw that ball away. And what happened on both of his interceptions tonight, he was basically in the grasp of a defender and any good starting quarterback throws that ball away. I later in the game, the announce team got excited when he threw a ball away. I mean, how often do you see or hear that? But instead, he's in the grasp. He forces a ball into coverage, leads the defensive back to it with his eyes, and it's going the other way. The first time, the Giants had a chance to really walk away with this game. They were up 14-6. to They got the ball to start the half, and Jones basically gives the ball right to Tom Brady. Now, the Giants got 
they escaped with the minimum of damage. They only gave up a field goal, which we, we will get to that in the second half. But then later on in the game, throws another bad interception. That one, I believe, turned into a touchdown. <clears throat> and really, that along with some other mistakes, penalties, some of which might have been bad calls, some of which the Giants earned. It was just another collapse. And this one, you know, really, Jones was the linchpin in all of it. And they still almost won the game, even though he almost threw two more interceptions on the final drive. Yeah, the the key thing here is the performances of everybody else on the field, particularly the defense, is what kept the Giants in the game. But inconsistencies by Daniel Jones not only took them out of the game and led to the loss, but also, in other occasions, took them out in opportunities where they had to, to tie the game. We Something that we talk about a lot, Chris, with, with Daniel Jones, is that he has always been inconsistent. And when you get to this point in week eight of his second season as a starter, there that, that has to really be the turning point of not really being able to make excuses for him. And maybe he turns it around, and I, I don't want to speak with entire certainty at the moment on that they need to just completely move off from Daniel Jones because I don't I don't want to be that that rash in saying this. But if you have to keep making excuses for a player, he's not going to turn it around. It, it, it more often than not, if you have to make the same excuses over and over and over again for a guy, and you're constantly trying reasons to say, well, that that's not his fault. It's it's this person's fault. Or, well, he made the same mistake again. It's this person's fault this time. It's not going to turn around. More often than not, when you see guys at this point in their, and I understand it's still early in his career, but when you see guys still making these similar mistakes, it's a very difficult road to recover from. And I know it sounds like I'm being super negative about this, but this might really truly be a turning point in in the outcome of what ends up being Daniel Jones's career. Does he continue to do the same stuff? Does he continue to fall off and fall apart and be and prove that he might not be the Giants starting quarterback or does he turn it around? Does he prove all of us wrong? Yeah, yeah, this is something we talked about with Dan Bazuda back before the season got started. And yeah, he said, you know, what one of the things about Jones is that he is and really ha- always has been, going back to college, <clears throat> he, he is willing to take chances. Uh, it, it's almost like he doesn't even recognize the threat to himself or to the ball. And while that, when it does work out, it is spectacular. The problem is th- those plays do not work out all that often. And a lot of times they wind up hurting you. And this is something we talked about in when we had our roundtable a few weeks ago. You know, at the very end of it, do do we think that Jones is who he is, or can he basically unlearn these habits and learn how to be more judicious with the ball? You know, they, you know, it's kind of a bad comparison this game having him up against. Tom Brady, who is maybe one of the best of all time, him and Peyton, at never putting the ball in danger. Any quarterback you want to be able to win with, he can't be hurting your own team every week. I'm still going to, at the very least, root for Jones to 
turn it around. I, you know, I really hope that he does have some type of, I, I don't even, I, I hope that there at some point this season, we can at least see glimpses of what we saw early on last year and then towards the end of last year. But in the meantime, I mean, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I'm going to start looking, looking at this up years, uh, this upcoming year's quarterback class. I'm going to start watching some tape early and see, you know, maybe if it is worth comparing and looking at some other guys. We do have to do our homework. Uh, yeah, drop maybe a little bit of a teaser, but for the Giants bye week, we will be having Mark Schofield on the podcast. And well, that's something everyone should always look forward to. Yeah, we might have to start <laughs> start bringing in some more conversations about quarterbacks, but stay tuned for that as the Giants bye week is coming up soon. We're going to discuss some notable things that came from the Giants' defensive performance and the offensive line. Before we do so, though, folks, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. Chris, I I don't want to sound, and I know this is, I'm going to keep saying this the whole episode, I don't want to overreact, but Patrick Graham is going to be a head coach someday for, for a team, and I would like to point to this performance as a very good reason why. What we saw from him in his schematic approach was exactly what they needed to do. And this Giants defense is, has shown some good things, but in terms of talent compared to who else the, the Patriots or not the Patriots, uh, <laughs> the Bucks have played. Um, you know, I, during the, during the game, I tweeted out, I think everybody has made that Patriots whoopsie this week. I, I know I did in our lead up. Uh, I, I think it was Lewis Riddick who made that mistake during the broadcast. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? We're just going to roll with it. <laughs> right. It, it, it's it's easy to make that mistake. But just off of who the Bucks have already played, the Giants defense is not more talented than some of these other defenses like the Bears and the Packers. They still managed to hold them to 25 points, which I think is a, a tremendous performance. But just breaking down off of watching the game, his game plan, you can tell, was facing a, a very good offensive line that has allowed so few pressures and is one of the best in the NFL right now, one of the most underrated offensive lines in the league with good receivers. His game plan was to not overly pressure Tom Brady, but rather create pressure uh, coverage sacks by dropping as many guys as possible, having very heavy defensive back packages and just allowing for Tom Brady to sit back there. And that was how all the pressures and sacks were created. And it worked perfectly. It worked really well. Had Tom Brady not had two opportunities to be handed the ball with good field position, the score might have been less than that 25-point mark. Yeah, the, I, I'm right there with you. I I think Patrick Graham is going to be a head coach. He ha, he called a hell of a game. I Just, just as, as an example of how little pressure the Giants were actually generating on Tom Brady. Leonard Williams had the Giants' fastest sack. It was 4.9 seconds. It is kind of insane that his offensive line was holding up for five seconds at a time, but the Giants' secondary was doing enough to keep the ball in Brady's hand. That was really a great game. I'm not going to go out and say masterful, but that was a great game by Patrick Graham. It was really well planned, really well called. He was mixing and matching his coverages, giving a whole bunch of different looks, uh, changing looks right at the snap of the ball. And it was enough to keep the ball in Brady's hands, make him second guess himself, pull the ball down. And then that was enough to give the Giants 
defensive linemen, I'm not quite sure we can say pass rushers, a chance to get there and affect him. I, I would honestly love to see what Graham could do if he had some pass rushers, if he had guys who can win off the snap with speed and really force offenses to game plan for them. But if he keeps performing like this, I'm not sure he's going to be a, a giant for very long. You know, a team like the Falcons or maybe even the Jets, who have kind of chronically been drawn to defensive-minded head coaches, they might be uh, raising their eyebrows a little bit right now. And even if he doesn't get signed to this upcoming group, which there is definitely going to be some attention on him, don't be surprised if he has some interviews Next year, definitely, depending on how things look for the Giants' defense. And I I can say this pretty confidently, that I think with Patrick Graham, if you give him an extra offseason to mold the defense with personnel that he wants to run his scheme very specifically the way he wants to, I think that this Giants' defense could be very good, scary good, even at that level. But we might not be able to see that. Hopefully... Graham is around for one or two more years as this Giants roster and team continues to grow with a very young group. And and I think that this team could have a very strong defensive identity if he's still the defensive coordinator. Chris, just to, to wrap us up, the last take that we have, Shane Lemieux stepped in playing for Will Hernandez, who tested positive for COVID. We got to see Matt Parrott play some right tackle. Andrew Thomas had a tough task of dealing with Jason Pierre-Paul. But, hey, I want to say that when you had all three of those guys in and even when it was Cam Fleming at right right tackle, they all looked really good. Uh, Not a perfect game from the group, but there were some plays where the protection was great. Uh, There were some good reps by Andrew Thomas facing off against JPP. I saw some good things like like Shaq Barrett didn't really have an explosive game dealing with this pass rush. We were significantly worried about handling the pressure and also the pass rushers off the edge. And considering how young this group is, I think they stood up to the occasion for, uh, for this, this whole game. No. And we do have to give some credit to Jason Garrett. He recognized the limitations of the giants offense and offensive line and what they were dealing with, with the Buccaneers defense and, he called a pretty good game himself. You know, a lot of really quick plays, quick hitting plays. He took advantage of the off coverage Tampa played pretty much all night long and got the ball out of Jones's hand fast. He reached into his bag of tricks pretty deep. You know, we saw the pass by Golden Tate, uh, maybe some a run by Evan Ingram. All in all, he did a good job of doing enough to either slow down the Buccaneers pass rush or to protect Jones by getting the ball out of his hand just before the pressure could get there. But yeah, the Giants rookie offensive linemen did pretty well. They, they did better than I think we expected them to against this group. Lemieux did well enough. I have to wonder if Zeitler has played his last game as a Giant. Yeah, they might really start considering if they want to move in the direction of using Lemieux as a starting guard, considering how good he looked in this game, because Zeitler on the older side, the oldest member of the group right now, it might be worth trying to trade him before tomorrow's deadline or today's deadline, depending on when you're listening to this episode. And the other thing I want to point to is this group was able to have some serious juice add some juice to the running game. But the the one thing that Chris, and you're going to point this out, 
it, it was a bit odd that they gave Alfred Morris as many touches as they did. I think that they could have had a better rushing performance if they just stuck with Wayne Gallman. If you have two running backs over the age of 30, they should not be getting a ton of touches. That, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and I have to say from a schematic point of view, and this is something we have touched on even going back into the offseason, Wayne Gallman fits what Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo like to do in the running game. You know, He is a one-cut downhill runner, follows his blockers, finds his hole, hits it hard, and finishes his run. He isn't going to break big runs like Saquon Barkley can, but that's okay because he can keep the offense on schedule. You know, that's his nickname back at Clemson was the Wayne train. And he showed that he can do that tonight against the Buccaneers. And honestly, Morris just looked slow. He, at times it looked like he wasn't running any faster than Tom Brady was. Yeah, that, that <laughs> that's a really good point that you bring up. I, I, I tweeted it out in saying that I, I don't understand how there's not a single other player available as a free agent right now that you could have signed to your practice squad to sit on the practice squad for the event of needing an extra running back that is much, much more spry and mobile than Alfred Morris is. And heck, I, I still think that, that John Hillman would have done a better job on some of those carries than Alfred Morris did. Morris had a great career. Don't get me wrong, but I just don't know what you get from a 31-year-old guy who has been bouncing around rosters for the past few years because he's been well over the age of of being a uh, a competitive running back for any team. So I think that definitely hampered him like you, you pointed out there, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit reminded of when the Giants tried to bring in Jonathan Stewart back in 2018 and it it was just obvious he's he did not have the the gas left in the tank that dave gettleman thought he did yeah very reminiscent of that jonathan stewart signing folks that's going to be it for this quick takes episode thank you for tuning in as always be sure to follow us all on social media at joe DeLeon at raptor mkii and also at big blue view on twitter and instagram Also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. And also go to our YouTube channel, Big Blue View, for more awesome Giants content. Stay on the lookout, folks, for our film breakdown episode where we will highlight some of the things that we brought up in today's episode of Quick Takes. 